Do what you love and you never have to work another day in your life. And that was some great advice given to me my last year's school by my Uncle Alan. I was at that stage in my life, which is an early stage, leaving school, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And I think everyone makes it more serious than what it really is because one thing I do know, you can change your life anytime, as many times as you like throughout your life. However, there's a high pressure on uh, young kids leaving school to become an accountant or a lawyer or a carpenter or get a trade or an apprenticeship, whatever it might be, and they feel a bit under pressure. And I didn't know what to do. My father at the time wanted me to become a computer programmer. And remember, that was the year of 1989. There were no laptops, there was no internet, there was no social media, there was no mobile phones. Computers were about the size of this room. But he saw that the future is computing. And my school at the time uh, was one of the first schools in the city that I lived in to actually install com a computer classroom and it was in the last semester uh, of my schooling. And I remember going into that little dungeon of a room with a screen in front of me, tapping away, learning, working on some from a DOS computer, and it wasn't the class that I got excited about. My mother wanted me to become a doctor. And uh, yes, that's great, because she saw that, you know, that's a great occupation, and it's a good status, and good money, and it's safe, and security, but I couldn't see myself... Uh, sitting in a room uh, prescribing uh, pharmaceutical drugs to sick people. That didn't really interest me. And I looked at my life at that time and looked at the classes that I got excited about. And the only class I got excited about was PE or lunchtime or little lunch or big lunch when I went and played sport. Even though I was very naturally gifted at certain subjects at school, for example, accounting. I won the Ducks Prize in my junior high school in accounting, and in my senior high school, I won the Ducks Prize in economics. So I was naturally really good at accounting and economics, and that's not because I studied. Quite the contrary, I didn't study at all. I just crammed at the end, <clears throat> but I just had a natural gift for numbers and economics and accounting and all that type of stuff. But I never got excited about going to that class. I just happened to be naturally good at it. So when I left school, it would have been a normal thing for me to become an accountant or an economist or study commerce or something like that and go to university because that was what I was naturally good at. But just because you're naturally good at it doesn't mean it's right for you and doesn't mean it will lead to joy and happiness. And the only things that made me happy was anything to do with sport, <clears throat> fitness, and training, they're the only things that made me happy. Even though at that time, in the early 80s, there was no real career path. So when I left school, I chose to take my Uncle Alan's advice, do what you love, you never have to work another day in your life. And even I thought, even if I don't make a lot of money out of it, at least I'm going to be happy. Because I had met numerous people who were very wealthy and secure and safe and iconic positions, but they weren't happy. And I also met people who weren't very wealthy, uh, they were more gypsy life, but they were really happy. And I was smart enough, I suppose, at the time to realise that happiness is a very valuable asset to have. So to be happy, you have to do that makes you happy. And the only things I loved to do was fitness and training. In my last half of my high school, I spent a lot of time going to the gym because I got introduced to bodybuilding by one of my schoolmates' cousins. His name was Jeff Olsen, who's visiting from Canada, who was a bodybuilder, and he invited me down to the gym, and I got hooked on the gym. And because I was going to the gym so much, I thought to myself, if I'm going to go to the gym all the time, I might as well get 
paid to go. So that was the obvious path for me. Follow your heart, follow your happiness, follow your joy and your passion. If I followed my brain, I probably would have gone down the path of economics or accounting. If I followed other people's advice, such as my father would have become a computer programmer. If I followed my uh, mum's advice, I would have become <clears throat> a doctor. But I know for sure that that would not lead me to happiness. I may have become successful in that economically, financially, secure status, all of that stuff, but deep down in my heart, I wouldn't be doing what I love, doing what I'm passionate about and following my true calling and purpose in life. So I chose the fitness path, even though at that time there was no real big fitness industry. There were the gyms were more bodybuilding gyms and aerobics was the, the starting to be the big thing at that particular time. So there's no real career path. So I went to uni and studied human movement studies. They used to call that uh, the Mickey Mouse degree because it led to no occupation because <laughs> it didn't have an occupation attached to it. I know it has more of an occupation attached to it now, some 30, 40 years later, but back then uh, it didn't. But I knew that if I did what I loved and I would find a way to make money out of it, turn my passion into a profitable profession, uh, and I'll be able to work that out. Because if I loved it, other people loved it as well. <clears throat> Therefore, there'd be enough people who loved it to turn into some form of career, some form of industry, some form of profession. And now, since then, I've been a trainer now for 39, going on 40 years, you know, how crazy is that? Going on four decades. And I still train people to this day. Obviously, in that 40 years, I've had many different career occupations and many, many businesses. But it's always been in the, under the umbrella of fitness and training. And now more into the fitness training education where I'm training other people <coughs> to help them find their path. And if their passion is fitness and health and training and sport, then I'm with my experience, uh, I can guide them uh, to an easier path to make them successful faster than I do because I had no one to follow back then because I was leading the path. I was one of the first uh, sports and conditioning coaches in Australia. I was one of the first personal trainers in Australia. I ran the first personal training course in Australia. I opened up the first full-time uh, fitness college in Australia. So many of the things I did were first. So there's no evidence that it would work. There was no, oh, well, they've done it and they've done it and they've done it, therefore... Hey, that's safe. If they can do it, then so can I. It's just working out how. I got a lot of resistance and a lot of people saying it wouldn't work and there's no money in this and there's no opportunities in that. And I got all that from what I call uh, the, the dream stealers, the people who ambush uh, your future life. We call them the pullers. They try to pull you down. They pull your ideas down. For whatever reason that is, I don't really know. But we'll talk a little bit about that. And you may have that in your life. You may have a dream. <clears throat> you may have a passion, a purpose, a calling, something that gets you out of bed early, keeps you up late, and you dream about it all night long. And if you can find that, that thing that turns you on, that lights up your life, uh, then energizes you. It doesn't drain you. Because a lot of people, you would have heard the saying, Monday-itis, you know, Monday-itis is... I have to go off to work to do what I don't want to do for someone I don't want to do it for where I don't want to be. Therefore, you become a clock watcher. You know, you're looking at, they're called hump day Wednesday because Monday itis is that tough day you have to start. You have to get through the week, not from the week. And on Wednesday, they're called hump day Wednesday. Yes, I'm over the halfway. Oh, thank goodness I've got halfway through the week. And then I, you know, join that club called Thank God It's Friday Club. Yeah, celebration or to get the weekend, when I like to call it the strong end. And I find that in itself 
a real sad way to live your life. Imagine that. You spend five days of seven days doing what you don't like, so you can spend two days doing what you do like. I don't know about you, but I think we only have one chance at life. I don't know what happens after that. And uh, to spend five days in what I call a jail, a job, means a jail is where you don't want to be, doing what you don't want to do, for who you don't want to do it for, and you're very restricted. And on weekends you get parole. <laughs> oh, I'm out on parole for the weekend, but you have to go back there on Monday-itis. And over Wednesday, yes, it's hump day, and Friday, thank God it's Friday, but even the weekend, it's ambushed, because on Saturday you're still hungover from drinking or partying too much on Friday to celebrate getting through the week, that treacherous week. And on the second half of Sunday, you're feeling a bit nauseous in the gut because you know you have to go back to work and work is doing what you don't want to do. Would you rather be doing something else uh, on the next day on Monday? So really, there's only a short period of time. So only a small percentage of your life is doing what you really love. And half the time, it's doing to band-aid uh, your, I guess, your sadness from your week by drinking too much or drugs or partying because you're trying to forget the week. And then, then the next week, and before you know it, weeks go by, years go by, before you know your life has gone by, doing what you don't want to do. And I think we all dream. We all have dreams when you're a young kid, when there's no restrictions, and you weren't put down for your ideas, and there weren't dream stealers around. You know, and you, you, know, you say, I want to do this, and I want to do that. And they go, yeah, that's fantastic, because you're a young kid. But all of a sudden, when you become an adult, I want to do this. And they say, oh, well, that won't work, or that, you, that's, that's too hard, or that's too difficult. or well, They come up for all the reasons why it won't work, but you only need one reason why it will work, <clears throat> finding that reason. And even when I was going through the journey, I couldn't find that reason. The only reason I had was because that's what I love to do. And if I knew if I loved to do it, I'd be so good at it, then I could turn it into a profession that pays my way. So if you find yourself in that boat uh, of in jail, <laughs> a job, uh, trying to escape, and sometimes the jail holds you in there because you may actually get paid well or provide security. You know, you say, oh my gosh, you know, and every time you leave, they give you a pay rise, which is the thickening up of the jail bars made of dollar notes. But the, here's the ultimate question. Is your life for sale? Is your life for sale? Can someone buy your life by paying you to do what you don't want to do, where you don't want to do it, for who you don't want to do it for? And sometimes the people that you have to work with can be quite toxic uh, in your life and do you hang out with them in your own time or do you try to get away from them <clears throat> so chase your dreams you only get one shot at life don't chase your dreams how about you just live your dreams and unfortunately I'm in a, a business now uh, the Max International Fitness College and Business College where we're the bridge to get people from the jail that they're living in now to the castle that they want to build. Jars are already built for you. You, know, you don't have to build a jar, they're already built and they just sort of persuade you in there with hey, security, safety, maybe status or, or money. Because some people want to become a doctor or a lawyer because it has a status symbol to it. One of my uh, graduates <coughs> was a lawyer and uh, she became a lawyer because her parents wanted her to become a lawyer. Uh, so she obeyed her parents, which is fair enough, and uh, I guess uh, for her, and plus lawyer had a status of, yes, I'm a lawyer, well, I'm important, plus I get paid really well, and it's safety and security, and people look up to you because you're a lawyer, and it's an executive professional, 
But it wasn't long before she found that in the corporate world of law, climbing the corporate ladder of success, it was very toxic. So much so that on a Monday morning she would throw up before she went to work. And she was really good at it. She had an honours degree. <clears throat> she was talented. She was disciplined. She was hardworking. But the challenge is she spent her first part of her life climbing the corporate ladder to soon to realise that she was climbing the wrong ladder. So you may get to the top, but you found you're at the top of the wrong mountain. But smart her, she decided that that was not for her. Uh, she found she didn't want to live her life in that toxic environment that made her sick on Monday mornings. So she uh, changed professions. She did the MAX program and she transitioned uh, over time out of law. And it wasn't long before she was a full-time personal trainer face-to-face at uh, one of the, the gyms in, uh, in New Zealand called Les Mills. And she found that it wasn't long before she was getting paid twice the amount of money as an exercise professional. Uh, to work half the amount of time doing what she really, really loved. And she was also a professional athlete as well, and so she built an online business and went to America, and she competed in America in her sport, still ran the business online, and she's moved on and on from there, uh, following one passion after the, the another. But a lot of times, some people just get stuck in that job or that, uh, <coughs> that, that business or that, uh, what it, that jail, and before you know it, their life has gone by. So I guess at the start, it's probably the easiest way to address this is to make sure that you start climbing the right ladder at the start, or better still, building your own ladder. So yes, sometimes it's good to take people's advice, um, but be very careful because advice can come from interesting places. I've always taken my own advice. Yes, I've looked at other people's advice and I take that, no, I dump that, I trash that. I remember when I first uh, wanted to become a personal trainer, I was shared with one of my family uh, members, uh, I'm going to become a trainer. And uh, she said, no one's going to pay for personal training. Who would pay $30 for a personal trainer? This is going way back. And I said, well, you're right, that's why I'm going to charge 50. (laughs) I had a little dig at her because she said it wouldn't work. And that fueled me to make it work. And it wasn't long after that, <clears throat> within six months, I was earning $2,000 a week as a personal trainer. I was tra- training 40 people a week at $50 a session. And that was in the late 80s. So I was earning $100,000 a year as a personal trainer in the late 80s. At the start, people said it wouldn't work. People wouldn't. And then I said, I'm going to open up a personal training studio. And everyone said, no, that won't work. Why would someone pay to go to a personal training studio? Yeah. <laughs> big prices when I can go and join a gym where it has lots more equipment and lots more people and mirrors for a small amount of money. And I said, no, but I think there's going to be people who want that privacy, who want that exclusivity, who wants that uh, away from that, that big scene. And luckily enough, I didn't listen to them and I opened up a personal training studio and it wasn't long before my studio was doing uh, over 160 sessions a week, charging $50 a session. So I was earning about $8,000 a week from my studio with six trainers close to half a million dollars a year. And that was in the early 90s. But again, if I listened to the advice of other people, I wouldn't have done it. Actually, if I go back in time and look at all the advice I listened to, if I took that advice, or the significant people in my life, that if I took their advice, I would have achieved anything that I've achieved today. Because their advice was coming from, they may have had good intentions, but their advice was unqualified. They hadn't done what I wanted to do. 
So their advice came from a complete place of naivety and ignorance and hearsay. And because they didn't have the vision I had, because they couldn't see it, they didn't believe it. A lot of people can't, don't believe what hasn't already been created. They only believe what they've been educated in. Einstein has a great saying, imagination is so far more important than education. Because education is confining, or imagination is limitless. I mean, you get educated in what people know that has been proven. But geniuses create things that don't exist. They are pioneers. They create things that aren't even there. Therefore, how can they take advice from people who don't have that imagination and they can't have that education because it doesn't exist? Because when I first want to become a personal trainer, there's no personal training courses. There's no personal trainers. So where does their advice come from? Well, there's no other personal trainers out there, so it can't be done. <laughs> well, that's not going to work, is it? But wait a minute, someone has to start it. Everything that was seemed impossible, everything that is possible now was once seemed impossible. Going back to the, the Wright brothers and... People said you can't fly, and they the first people to fly. Now we travel around the world and fly. It's like it's just you know a natural thing. You know, I'm in light now when Thomas Edison created the incandescent light bulb, and everyone says that's not going to work. And he's been interviewed by journalists on his journey to inventing the incandescent light bulb that gives us light today. And at that time, he uh, was up to around about six thousand attempts at creating this light bulb. And obviously, scientists document and record everything so they don't have to go over repeated mistakes. They document their mistakes so they don't make that mistake again. And the journalist so happens to say, and whether this is true or not, but don't let the facts get in the way of a good message. And the facts could be true. I don't know, I wasn't there. But he said, look, you have failed 6,000 times in trying to invent the light bulb. And Thomas Edison says, no, no, you're wrong. I haven't failed. I've succeeded 6,000 times in how not to invent the light bulb. Interesting. So therefore, it's not if, it's just when. And it took him up to, apparently, 10,000 times before he actually succeeded. And I think most people in life, they would never have started it because they thought, well, no one else has done it, so it probably can't be done. Or they may have attempted a few times, they would have quit, or maybe 20 times they quit, or 100 times they quit, or 1,000 times. But I don't think many people would have the endurance of 10,000 times who truly believed that they could do it. And if you look at the technology today of mobile phones, I mean, that was just crazy because I grew up with phones on the wall and you had to dial and there's no answer machines. And I remember the fax was quite an amazing breakthrough in technology. Well, fax is not amazing. I remember my mate, uh, Fruity, my best mate from school, he faxed me a document uh, from a halfway across the country. And I went, my gosh, he, you mean that I couldn't work out how that happened. But at that one time, people said that would be impossible. Who would have thought? So if you have a dream, even if someone hasn't done it, doesn't mean it cannot become a reality. You just need to believe it to achieve it. But the beautiful thing, a lot of times people don't even have a go at the things that have already been invented or created. They just don't believe they can do it or other people have put the seed of doubt on them that they can't do it. And I see that a lot in my profession where I'll come across people who are two, two extremes, two extremes. So I'll come across... The young, young person in their teenage years, and I started being a trainer when I was only 17, working in Bob's Gym in Southport on the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. And I started there after school working in Bob's Gym, and eventually I got a free membership for it, and then eventually I worked at Spartan Gym in Brisbane. I got paid to do that, and over time I turned it into a full-time career while I was studying 
a degree which wasn't really connected to it, but it gave me letters after my name that gave me a bit of credibility, uh, even though people thought I knew far more than what I actually knew. But one thing is I kept going and kept going until I achieved what I wanted to achieve. Even at that time, there was no, when I started, there was no really career opportunities. Now, it is a smorgasbord of opportunities uh, in the fitness uh, profession. But there were kids who, even today, want to become an exercise professional. They want to become a personal trainer, a group exercise, or own a gym, whatever it might be. And I see some go for it and they become really successful. And it's fantastic because they chase their passion, they connect that to a purpose, and they turn it into a profitable profession. And they stay on course on their ladder, their building, irrespective of what everyone else says. And many of them will still get resistance from people who don't believe they can do it, but they ignore them and they do it anyway. And sometimes they'll seek, and unfortunately they'll seek advice from people who haven't done it, and therefore they'll give them ignorant advice. Uh, based only on their knowledge. <laughs> doesn't mean that's all the knowledge, just on their limited knowledge and their ignorance of that area that they have no knowledge of, and they'll give them stern advice. And sometimes I'll have kids' dreams being stolen by family, uh, friends, uh, colleagues, who say, oh, and they don't take the fitness profession seriously because they think a serious profession is a lawyer or an accountant, or an engineer, something you have to go to university to. <laughs> and you can go to university for fitness, but you don't have to. So it seems to be that they tend to say, because the old tradition is leave school, get a trade, and become a carpenter or a plumber or whatever it might be, fitter and turner, then you, you're set up for, you've got a trade. Or leave a school, go to university, get a degree, and then go into the corporate world or something like that. And that's the old school way of looking at things. But you find that most entrepreneurs or business owners don't actually go through university. They actually go and chase their dreams, they build the business. Because you can get knowledge anywhere. You don't have to go to an institution <coughs> to get the knowledge. Knowledge is easily accessible. So I'll come across young kids uh, where they want to chase their passion. They love fitness, they love training, they tell me all about it, it ignites them. It's the only thing that makes them happy. It's their happy place. But unfortunately, adults... Uh, will say negative things about it and say, no, they'll just demand, you're not doing that, you're going to go to university. You're not doing that, you're going to get a trade. You're not doing that, you're going to get a job. That's not serious, you can't earn money out of that, you're going to fail, whatever, 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 whatever. Which is really interesting because I know many exercise professionals who own gyms and franchises and studios who are multi, multi-millionaires. And it's not that money's the driving factor, but they become very, very wealthy. And I know that I was earning $100,000 a, a year, $2,000 a week, back uh, in the late, uh, late 80s, early 90s, and more beyond that. So it's not that you can't make money out of it, because there's plenty of money in it, because health, there's lots of money in health, because a lot of people will spend their health to get their wealth, but then they're going to have to reinvest their wealth to regain their health, and where are they going to go for that? Yeah, some people may go to doctors and get pills and potions and motions and all sorts of stuff, but a lot of people, their solution is exercise, so they'll need a personal trainer or go to a gym or a studio or some form of uh, exercise coach. But that advice at that age, and I find it quite sad that sometimes their dream has been stolen because it's been a big wet blanket's been put over it. And because the kid's so young, they have this ultimate trust and faith in their family member or their colleague or 
whatever the adult, and uh, then they go and and they go and do something else. They go to uni and study something they're not really interested in, or they go and get a job or go into a job but they're not really interested. And I find that really sad because what I do know is that to really truly be happy, then you have to do what makes you happy, and a big part of your life is your career, is your business, your career, your profession. That's a big part of your life. It makes up over fifty percent. Yes, it may only be 40 hours, but it's not really when you think about it. When you wake up in the morning, you're thinking about your job. When you leave the job in the evening, you're thinking about your job. And on Sunday afternoon, you're thinking about your job, going back to your job. So, yeah, it does take up a lot of space in your mind, at least 50%. And if it's a negative job or a job that you hate, that's toxic, that's really affecting you, your mental health and your physical health, it can consume and take up all of your life because now you've got this toxic thing going in your head about having a job that you hate that affects all aspects uh, of your life. So it's really important that you do things that light you up, energize you, turn you on. Do things that you do for free. That's a great question to ask. Do things that you do for free. And sometimes I ask this question when people have doubts about, because you've got to go across a bridge. You have to go through the cross of bridge to get from where you are to where you want to be. And that bridge too is you have to become skilled, you have to become... Uh, educated, you have to gain the knowledge, you have to gain the ability, you have to get the qualification, whatever it might be, to get across the bridge. There is an entry ticket. There is an entry ticket. And that ticket, there's going to be an investment financially to be able to get that ticket, time-wise, discipline, hard work. But anything worth achieving is always going to be based on hard work. If, If it was easy, everyone would do it. I went through a lot of hard work going to university and getting the qualifications and the, the education that I gained, but I loved it because I knew that it was going to give me the ticket to the entry to a life that only other people would dream of, where I had this life where I never worked uh, in my life since I was 17. And I find it very hard to even relate to having a job that people hate, just doing it for the money, the security, or for whatever reason it might be, or worst case, you're doing it for someone else to please your parents or please your friends or do it for the expectations of society or please your peer group or do be accepted. Don't be careful not to do things to be accepted by the wrong group. <clears throat> That's not going to lead to happiness. You're, you're trying to you're compromising yourself and your life uh, to do what you don't want to do to get acknowledgement and acceptance from others. So be careful that you're not trying to be accepted by the wrong people because the right people would support you and encourage you and be a cheerleader for you to go and chase your passion. And I was fortunate that my my, my father was always supportive. He wasn't that rightly supportive, but he's always, if I wanted that, okay, you do that. And if I have to invest a bit of money in there, whatever it might be, I'm happy to do that. As long as you're, you're happy doing what you're doing. My mum was more of a cheerleader. Oh, that's fantastic. My son's doing this. Even though she wanted to become a doctor, she supported my choice because it's my life. And I'm the person who has to live my life 24-7 in my own life in the ocean of my own thoughts. Because when no one's around, I'm still around. <laughs> when I'm in bed, I'm still thinking about what I'm doing, what I have to do tomorrow, I think what I did yesterday. So I'm the one who has to live it by myself. No one else, they would just come in your life, and they'd be what we call a seagull. They'll fly in, they'll fly around the room, poop everywhere and fly out, and that's it. It means they'll poop in your mind by telling you you can't do it, or it can't be done, or putting the seeds of doubt into your head based on, many times, their ignorance. So be careful who you get that advice from. The advice could come from someone who hasn't done it. Well, hey, don't even, don't even go there. Sometimes it will come from people who have done it but failed. Well, don't go there either because they failed. <laughs> 
Why they failed, I don't know. Maybe they didn't get the right education. Maybe they didn't get the right support. Maybe they don't have the discipline. Maybe they were lazy. Maybe they're quitters. Who knows? But many times those people will always have a list of reasons of why it didn't work. A list of excuses. The only thing not on that list is their name. <laughs> so they'll actually go through a process and put all these doubts in your mind based on their own personal experience. But for every 10 of them, there's one person who's done it to a super successful level. And they're the people you seek. They're the people you, you seek. If I want to become a champion boxer, I don't get the advice from a, a boxer who's lost every fight. I go to the boxer who's won the championship. <laughs> if I want to become great at football, I go to the champion football coach. Not the coach who always teams loses because he sits on the side smoking a cigarette and couldn't be bothered doing the work, doing the discipline, doing the structure to make you successful. So a big part of this is seek the advice in the right, right places from your circle of influence. Now, you will be the average of the people you hang out with most. So try to hang out. If you want to be a fast runner, hang out with fast runners. Don't join a walking club. Don't take advice from a walking club for people who run. And take advice from a swimmer if you want to run. Take advice from the people who have done what you want to do and done it to the level that you want to do it. And that's the best place to get them. And sometimes you may even get maybe a doubt from there, but that's okay. Just go back to your heart. Always follow your heart, not always your brain. Because sometimes your brain is sometimes too logical and sometimes it can be fed different things. But if your heart will override that and will set your course, your heart is your, is your compass. So don't take advice from people who haven't done it. Don't take advice from people who have done it and failed or quit. And more likely take advice who have done it. And it may not necessarily be in your profession, but they've chased their dreams. Hang around dream achievers. Hang around people who are achieving their not dream quitters. Nothing to gain in that area. And I see that sometimes. A lot of the times, young people getting influenced by... And maybe people have they had the right intent because they want to stop them from, uh, you know, failing, I suppose. I know sometimes my father is a bit negative in what I want to do or that won't work, he shouldn't do that. And his intent was good because he didn't want to see me fail. But he's never done what I want to do. Therefore, if I fail doing what I'm, I'm loving, I'm actually succeeding. I'd rather fail doing what I love than succeed at doing what I hate. Interesting. Then the other scope other side, other end, I get people who have been lawyers or accountants or engineers or construction supervisors or whatever it might be, and they've been doing that all their life. And they get to around that age of uh, what people call maybe middle age, <laughs> I guess I'm somewhere in that scope now, around 40s and 50s, and they're thinking to themselves, well, where's this all heading? What is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of this? Why am I doing what I'm doing now? Yes. I'm financially strong, I'm financially secure, I'm financially independent, but I'm not happy doing what I... But I used to really be happy when I was young, going to sport or going to the gym. And many times people, their only happiness is when they go to the gym or their personal trainer or their sport. That's called their happy place. And they make a transition late in life. I get a lot of those people who get attracted to Max due to the maturity of Max with myself and Rory are saving our 50s and we've been doing this all of our life. So I work a lot of time with people who transition later in life. <clears throat> and all of them will say something like this, geez, only if I started this back then. <laughs> if only I started back then. Only if I followed my, my heart back then. If only if I chased my dreams back then. And that's okay. There's no regrets, you know, because every day is the first day of the rest of your life. So if this is this day, make sure that you f follow your heart. Get in that path, get in that lane 
that energizes you, that, make, that makes you passionate, gets you up early, keeps you up late, you do it for free. And I sometimes ask when people transition from one to another, you know, a job which is secure but doesn't, not fulfilling, doesn't serve their values, to an opportunity that is not guaranteed. And I say, look, if I had, for example, how much are you earning now? And they would say, this is how much I'm So if I had a, a position over here that paid you the, exactly the same amount of money that you've been earning here, and this position was there waiting for you now, you had clients to train, you're going to earn the money, you had the qualification, you had the skills, and you're ready to go next Monday, would you do it? And they'd say, of course I would. Well, there you go, you've made your decision. Because if it was a choice of doing what you got now versus doing what you really want to do, and there's no bridge, you were already there, then you do it. Now all you need to do is cross the bridge. And crossing that bridge is going to be, obviously, some form of sacrifice. You have to maybe sacrifice time to learn the knowledge and the skills and get the qualification and get the experience. And you may have to do that in your own time, outside in your parole time, <laughs> on weekends or late nights, to build that opportunity. But once that bridge is built, once you've got that skill set, once you've got that knowledge, once you've got that qualification, you've got that for the rest of your life. And all you need to do is cross the bridge. And once you're on this side, you look back and say, why did I stay in that jail for so long? One of my other uh, protégés who I, I mentor for many years now, uh, he had a safe, secure job. And I don't think he was completely happy about it. No, we were training one morning and he said he just lost his job. He got sacked. And uh, I said, congratulations, how, how awesome is that? And that sort of made him look a bit, he said, wow, what's going on there? Everyone else is really sad and my, my, my wife is upset because the security's taken away and they haven't got the money and everyone's really sad. But Cayman's really celebrating that I got sacked. And he says, why do you say that? He says, well, two reasons. Number one, number one is that you sucked at your job. Therefore, <laughs> your boss didn't want you. You don't want to be there where your boss doesn't want you because you, you sucked at it. There's a reason why you sucked at it because you probably weren't good at it. Or number two, you didn't like your job anyway, uh, and uh, you were average at it, therefore you got sacked. So either way, um, it's not right for you, because if it was right for you, he wouldn't sack you. He wouldn't sack you because you're the most valuable team player in his business, and there's a reason why you're not the most valuable team player, because because you're not really turned on that by that job, you're there for the wrong reason. Now, you've someone's pressed your reset button, you've gone back to what we call zero-based thinking, means you can start again, what do you really want to do? What do you really want to do? And he said, well, I want to open up a, uh, my own martial arts uh, school. And I said, well, now you've got that opportunity. And now many, 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 many years on, he has a very, very successful martial arts school that pays him five times more than what he was earning. And he's the boss and he has people working for him and all sorts of stuff. And he's living the absolute dream. I'm not taking away there was some hard work in there. But you're better off doing hard work and doing what you love than easy work and doing what you hate. Because easy work and doing what you hate becomes very hard and you know, boring and uh, over a period of time. And it takes. But if you're doing what you love, then you're never going to quit because you absolutely uh, love it. So if you, if you could transition now, would you? Then if that's the case, then that is the right decision. Now just get to work and working out how you're going to get from where you are to where you want to be. Now, that's, this is not just limited to your career, but all aspects of life, I suppose. Sometimes people are in a, a bad relationship 
and they're there for the wrong reasons. They're there because it's secure. Maybe, maybe they're for financial reasons. They're because it's too hard to break up a relationship. And I can speak from experience. I have been in a previous marriage and I got divorced and I made that decision. Uh, and the ultimate decision is if, if I started again, would I do what I did? And the answer would be no. If you started again, would you take that job that you're stuck in now? If the answer is no, then hey, best get out of it. <laughs> Just get out of it now because the longer you stay in something, the harder it is going to, to get out. It's like quicksand, you know, a, a job, a jail, a bad relationship. It's a quicksand. It would just slowly drag you down and bring your energy down. It would bring your mental health down, your physical health down, and you'll get weaker and weaker. The longer you stay, the longer you procrastinate, the harder it is to take action. As I said, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. <laughs> the best time to, my point being, the best time to take action was when you first thought about it. Many times when you first thought about it, it's been delayed. The second, the worst time is tomorrow, because <laughs> there's always going to be tomorrow. The second best time is right now. Take action. It's your life. Take control of it. Be the master. Be the architect of your life. And yes, you may want to seek advice, but that means you take all the advice. Sometimes you don't take hardly any of it. I've taken hardly any advice when I first started. I do take advice. I'm always surrounded by people around me in my library of... All these famous people always did what they love. They didn't do what they did for the money. They didn't do it for the security. They didn't do it for the status. They did it because they loved it. Most of them weren't paid when they started. Every athlete didn't get paid to get started, but many of them become multimillionaires. Every entrepreneur, when they started, they built the business for free. No one paid them to build it. They built it, whether it be Stephen Jobs with with, uh, Apple, whatever it might be, whether it be Mandela with his cause of you know, social justice and civil rights, doesn't really matter. All of these people who write significant books that sit on people's libraries, all of them started with only two, not even two pennies to rub together, a lot of passion, a lot of purpose, and they did it for the right reasons. It wasn't money. They didn't get it at the start. They got money at the end. The old saying is you do more than what you paid for and eventually you get paid for what, what you, you do. Now, this is a, a, a great little... Yeah, three-step process to uh, to have a happy life because ultimately that's what people want. People say, "What do you do for a job?" Maybe they should be asking this question: "Are you happy?" That's a great because your job many times doesn't make you happy. Most people, their job doesn't make them happy. If I say, "If you d- stop getting paid to do your job today, would you go to work on Monday?" and the answer is, "No, of course not." Well, I would because I started training people and going to the gym for free. I actually paid to be a member of the gym. And I started training people for free because I just loved it. And eventually that rose reversed because I came so good at it, they started paying me to train them. And, and, and gyms paid me to be there because I added value. And before you know it, now people pay me to educate you, qualify them, coach them, mentor them to have a great career. Because when I first started, I wasn't paid to do it. I did it for free when I started all of my 15 different businesses in that journey. No one paid me to start the business. I started the business for free, build the infrastructure, and before you know it, they started to pay me. When you make a movie, for example, no one pays the producers to make a movie. The producers invest the money to make the movie, then they release the movie, then the audiences pay their tickets to see the movie. Well, you're the movie. People come to you for an experience, and that experience is a healthy one, to be fit, healthy, strong, whatever it might be, but you are the movie that people pay the entry fee to pay, to 
get your advice or get your motivation or get your guidance and coaching, whatever, whatever it might be. So if you do what you love, you never have to work another day in your life. If you're not working your life, then you will actually keep doing what you love. So that on the other side of things, there would be no retirement because why would you retire from your purpose, from your passion, from doing what you love? I remember having lunch with another business a man who asked me this great question. He said, so you've done really well. You're very wealthy. You've had lots of success over your years. Why don't you retire? And I asked a great question. I said, what would I do? What a great question. If I retired, what would I do when I'm not doing what I love because I've sold my business or retired from it? Because if you love it for the right reasons, you'd never quit doing it because it's in your blood. It's in every cell of your body, whether it be from a young age right to your mature age, you're going to keep doing what you're doing. Rory, for example, <coughs> my beautiful wife and, and business partner, she started her career and she was only 14 years of age. And she was at that stage of age where she wasn't necessarily getting support from her parents. Her father wanted her to become a lawyer and she wasn't getting any love for her calling her passionate health and fitness because they didn't take it seriously when you become a fitness trainer. So much so, she ran away from home at age 14 from Melbourne to Sydney and she was working as a group exercise instructor and fitness trainer by the time she's 14, 15 years of age. Because she's doing what she absolutely loved with no, having even finished school, she's a trainer. She became a manager of a gym by the time she's 18 and since then she's managed gyms all over the world <coughs> and owned gyms all over the world, Europe, USA, Australia, New Zealand, and her fitness business is actually in Australia, got her listed on the BRW Young Rich List by growing one of the fastest growing companies and becoming one of the richest people in Australia under the age of 40. So not bad for a young girl who'd never finished school, ran away from home and chased her passion and turned it into a profitable profession. And now, like myself, she's now approaching 60, still has the same amount of passion for fitness and health and well-being and the cause, and obviously doing different things in those last 40 years, from being the group exercise instructor to running different businesses. And we create our own, I can say, leverage, our own vehicle to express our genius and our experience and our love and our passion through different businesses and different modes of communication. But it's all basically serving the same purpose. So as you mature through your life, you actually become better what you do and find better ways to do it and better ways to communicate it. And you may even mould that to different population groups because that's what maturity is. When I was young, I wanted to work with elite athletes. When Rory started, she wanted she loved group exercise. And as that, we both went through our journeys into gyms and Rory managing gyms, me running personal training studios setting up business, business sections, going into the business world, then going into uh, fitness and business education. So your journey is going to change. You're going to cross many bridges on your path, but make sure that you're on the right path, doing the right thing for the right reason, because most importantly, you're the right person. But the path to happiness, a three-step approach which... I was exposed to an institute called the Happy Institute, and they said these are the three things to make sure that you live a happy life. Number one is make sure you do what you're absolutely passionate to do, because it's that passion that's going to get you through the tough times, the hard times, and also to take you to the peak times as well. 
So you have to do what's really because it's not always going to be a linear growth. It's going to be sometimes a rocky road, but it will always will go up. Passion. Number two, that passion makes sure it's attached to a purpose. And that purpose is something which is bigger than you, something that you serve, a purpose, connected to your values. My early career, my purpose was sports conditioning. I wanted to help elite athletes become, to get the peak condition of Olympic gold medals and all sorts of stuff. And your purpose may change through your life as you mature through your life, something that is a calling, it's a cause. You know, Nelson Mandela was, was civil rights, you know, he, that was his calling to civil rights, to lead his country to freedom and all sorts of stuff. What is your calling? What is the thing that's bigger than you that you like to serve? And then the last one is make sure that you actually produce measurable results. It means there's a scoreboard, you know, it means that provides a scoreboard, basically gives you feedback whether you're on path or off path, whether you're making a difference or not making a difference. And you measure that any way you want. It could be number of clients, number of people you help, could be money in the bank, but it has to be a tangible measurement so you don't fool yourself. You know, it's a tangible measurement that this is what you've done and this is how you measure what you've done whether you're on course or off course. So there's the three points to living a fantastic life. And I always remember one of my uh, uh, graduates who was working for me for some time and now he has his own corporation, he has a multi-multi-million-dollar business and I started working with him when he was only 17 years of age. And in that early stages, I was mentoring him, you know, to help him, to guide him to become the man he is today. And I'm still in contact with him now. He Sometimes he wants a bit of advice or a bit of wisdom or whatever it might be, or a third eye on it, or different, different eyes. And uh, he got off the phone to one of his mates who was a, a, uh, an investment banker, and his mate was really upset. He says, well, what's going on there? He says, well, the marketplace has really dropped down at the moment, so he's really upset because he's lost so much money. And I thought, that that's really odd, because if you attach your happiness to the marketplace, then you're going to have a very rocky road. So if your happiness is when the stocks are going up, is if your happiness is up, then that's great. When the stocks go down, you're miserable. When they go up, you're happy, you're miserable. Happy, miserable, 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 happy. Isn't that interesting that you attach your happiness to something which you don't really have complete control over? And I thought of my career, through my career, financially my money was really low at the start and my money over time grew over time, but my happiness has always been at 10 out of 10. My money was sometimes at 0 out of 10 and 1 out of 10 and eventually got up to 10 out of 10 and came down to 8 and it goes up and down naturally depending on the economic tide of the time. Um, but yours, my happiness has always been 100. So make sure you don't attach your happiness to money. <laughs> There's one thing, because money comes and goes. Don't attach your happiness to people, because people come and go as well through your life. Being someone now approaching 60 years of age, there's a lot of people come in and out of my life, and I attach happiness for them when they leave. They took my happiness. Imagine that. Imagine my first, first, first marriage. My happiness would have gone with that one. No, my happiness has always been there. Don't attach your happiness to things, because things come and go. Don't attach your happiness to acceptance of other people, because other people have their own motivation. Sometimes it's positive, sometimes <clears throat> it's negative. Some people want you to fail. Sometimes you ask people, you know, uh, I'm thinking about doing this, and they'll put that seed of doubt because they don't want you to fail, because they don't want you to succeed in achieving your dream when they've never lived there's sad to say, but sometimes people get a little bit of joy out of other people failing and joy out of other people not succeeding because it makes them feel better 
about their life where they haven't really succeeded or filled their potential or lived their dream, whatever reason it might be, I'm not going to put my headspace there. So at the end, make sure that your happiness is attached to your passion, to your purpose, and to your calling. And that's also in alignment with your values. And irrespective of the tide, the economic tide, the people tide, the financial tide, because the tide will go in and out, like will go in and out, like the seasons change throughout the year. Some, you know, some people get miserable in the winter. <laughs> in the winter, they say, oh, it's too cold. In the summer, they say, oh, it's too hot. In the winter, it's just too windy. Really? So now your happiness is attached to the weather. Isn't that sad? Because now you're attaching to something that is not in your control. But what is in your control is your passion and your purpose and your mental mindset. If you control your thoughts, you can, you can master your thoughts and master your mind, you will master your life. And master, become a master of what you're passionate about that serves a purpose that's in line with your values, and irrespective of what other people think, it doesn't matter. Because in this noisy world, opinions are like bottoms. Everyone's got one, and most of them stink. See you in the K next K Max. Mm-hmm.